Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Crazy. Anyways, let's talk about your work, <laughs> the world according to physics. First of all, to you, what is physics? Well, it's it's a way of understanding reality. For me, it's the way of understanding right the the, the physical universe, the, the world around us, the stuff, the matter, the energy, uh, the phenomena. At the deepest level, you, you, you drill down, you get to physics. You know, whatever explanations you have, even, you know, when, when in other sciences, biology leads to chemistry, ultimately it leads to physics. So it's the fundamental way of understanding the true nature of reality, in my view. What is it about physics that really is something you enjoy? For me, I think it's, and this is why I fell in love with it, you know, as a teenager. I think it's, I mean, A, a I, I enjoy it because I'm good at it. You know, not everyone is good at everything. I'm, I'm, I'm not so good at playing the piano. Um, I'm good at it, but I also, it's fun. It's, it's common sense and it's puzzle solving. So I, where there are mysteries out there, I don't follow what someone else tells me. This is the explanation of the mystery. I realize that using mathematics, using the tools and tricks of science, I can solve those mysteries. So it's, it's, it's that it, there's a mystery there to be solved. It's a puzzle. And there are ways and means that you can use to reach an answer. I just find that absolutely fascinating. You keyed in on nuclear physics. How come? Well, that was sort of luck, really. I, I was in my final year of my bachelor's degree, undergraduate degree, and one of the professors that I did a, a research project with um, was is a, a nuclear theoretical nuclear physicist. So he does mathematical carries out mathematical modeling of atomic nuclei. So not nothing to do with nuclear power or, or, or nuclear weapons, just understanding the structure of the atomic nucleus. I did this project with him, and he must have been impressed. And he said, "Would you like to stay on and do a PhD with me?" And it hadn't even occurred to me to do that. I was at the time I was about to get married. I, I've got to get a job. I've got to get a house. I've got to be grown up. And and this PhD opportunity was handed to me. And uh, as soon as it was offered, I knew I had to say yes. And my my wife to be now, my wife of thirty years. <laughs> um, I'm still paying her back for the for the uh, to say thank you for her allowing me to do my PhD. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about this new work, the world according to physics. Yes. Yeah, so this is a it's a small book. It's it's almost pocket sized. Um, it's sort of half the size, you know, 50,000 words of, of other books that I've written. But I, it's sort of my love affair with physics, what we know and how we know what we know. So I, I always say, uh, as an example, that if all our knowledge of, of, of reality of the physical universe gained from physics is an island, and beyond it are the shores of, of, of you know, the ocean of the unknown. We don't know if that extends on for infinity or whether we'll finally know everything. But this island is expanding all the time as our knowledge grows. This book isn't an exploration of the island, as, as a lot of other popular science books are. It's really an exploration of the shoreline. So we're walking around the shoreline, looking at the cutting edge of what we now know in physics, maybe rolling up your, 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 your travel lake and, and wading into the water and exploring yeah. a little bit of the unknown. What is it that we still don't know, but is we're on the brink of understanding, hopefully. So that's where it's at. It's a book that brings the average reader up to speed on some of the most profound issues in physics.
politics. You were born in Baghdad back in 1962, and one of your characters in your book is the Arab physicist Ibn al-Haytham. Tell, yeah. me, tell me about him. Is, was, is he real? He is, yes, absolutely. Yes, so my, my, my mother's English. My father came from, uh, from Iraq. He met my mother in England when he was studying engineering. We went back. We, I, I grew up in, in Iraq at a time when, you know, life was easier. And it, life was was different. Back there. it was <laughs> very, different. It was different. Well, Mahaba to you. Oh, well, that's very good. Mahaba, shukran. <laughs> I'm Lebanese, yeah, so I speak yeah, it. So I, um, I was aware, although, you know, we spoke English at home. It's my mother tongue. I did um, a school in Arabic. And in, in history classes there, not science classes, we learned about some of these great medieval scholars of the, of the Islamic empire, you know, people who, who invented whole sciences, you know, like algebra and, and trigonometry and astronomy. And, and they're not well known uh, in, in the West. Um, and so uh, ten, ten, about 10 years ago, I did a BBC documentary about these medieval scholars. I then followed it up. I wrote a popular science book, which came out in the U.S. Uh, under the title The House of Wisdom. And it, did, it was received very well. And one of the main characters in it was this 10th century genius, Ibn al-Haytham. Mostly in the West, he was known by the Latin version of his name, al-Hazim, uh, because a lot of his, his, his works, his texts were translated into Latin in the European Renaissance. They used his book of optics. And he's one of these fantastically colorful characters, because a lot of historians wrote about him, so we know quite a lot about his life. He, um, uh, he uh, uh, figured out how to solve the, the problem of the Nile in Egypt, how it would be uh, flooding uh, and, and periods of drought. And he proposed what we would now have as the Aswan Dam on the Nile. For, for really? The That's yeah, he, he proposed building a dam. He told the caliph of in Cairo that he could do this. Um, and then, so he, he was invited over and failed because he realized he'd bitten, bitten off more than he could chew. So rather than apologize or, or, uh, or try and make excuses, he feigned madness. And that spared him his life, <laughs> which was actually the second time he feigned madness. When he was still a young man working in the southern Iraq in the city of Basra, he had a very boring um, clerical administrative job, and um, he really wanted to be studying the, the great work of the Greeks, the Greek astronomer Ptolemy. So uh, to get out of his job, he feigned madness, got, got kicked out of his job, <laughs> and was supported by his parents huh. just reading some of these texts. So he's a wonderful character, but he was also a genius, and he was probably the greatest physicist uh, in the 2,000-year span between Archimedes in ancient Greece and Isaac Newton. And he made many great big discoveries in astronomy and, and, and optics. So, yeah, a bit of a hero of mine. <laughs> Can you imagine if he lived today with the kind of technology we've got available to him? Yeah, it's, it, it is quite incredible because he was also one of the earliest proponents of the scientific method. So he'd say things like, uh, you know, if you have a good idea, if you have a theory or hypothesis, it's no good just saying it's true, believe me. You have to try and test it. You have to find an experiment to see if you're right. So he learned things like um, light always travels in straight lines and how light reflects and refla uh, refracts through glass and water. And so he combined theory and mathematics and experiment all the time in a way that I think didn't really happen until much later in Europe, Galileo, for example. So, yeah, with modern technology, he'd, well, who knows what geniuses like him might have achieved. And you can imagine others like Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. You know, what, if they could live today, what, what could they do? Or if, if Einstein had a computer. 
right. My <laughs> gosh, you wouldn't have to write on that chalkboard all those numbers. <laughs> yeah, but it looks cool, doesn't it? It did. It sure did. There are still mysteries of science, uh, mysteries of modern physics. Uh, here we are, it's 2020, we've been to the moon in 1969, we've done all these amazing things, yet we still really don't know about dark matter and dark energy. How come? Well, uh, it's, it's a sign that we haven't reached the end of our understanding of, of the universe. I mean, uh, there's a, there was a famous article written by Stephen Hawking in about 40 years ago now, early 1980s, where he said, the end of physics is near. We're almost at a, a theory of everything. All we just need to do is dot some I's, cross some T's, a theory that would unify all the forces of nature. And, of course, he was wrong because we are still looking for that theory of everything. And in that intervening period, as you say, there have been things like dark energy that have been discovered. We still don't know what dark matter is made of. I mean, we don't even know if the Big Bang was the Big Bang. Oh, no, don't get me on that, but I'm going to ask you about that now. <laughs> yeah, so, that, I mean, for me, that's great that there are still mysteries out there because, you know, that, as I say, this is one of the reasons I love physics. If we had all the answers, um, life would be more boring. <laughs> I'd be out of a job as well. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think about this universe, and let's take God out of the equation for a moment because that's an easier answer. But with yeah. God out of the picture for just this moment, I'm trying to think of this universe, how it was formed from nothing. And I just can't get it, Jim. I can't get it. Yeah, I, it, it is, it's one of those... Ideas that it's things like you know if the universe is expanding, what is it expanding into, and all that. that, that exactly, what's on the other yeah. side of it, or something. <laughs> the, the, there are there are ways. I think the problem is that you know people working in, at, at the cutting edge of um, the foundation of physics do have a, a, a an understanding of of of, of the, these these issues, albeit not complete. But we're rubbish at explaining it to people without the benefit of years of experience. One of the things I've tried to do in my book is find fresh ways of explaining some of these concepts. It's, uh, you know, you, you, it's not something you can just say in a soundbite and then and the, the, the other person says, ah, okay, oh, now I get it. it. It is subtle. The idea that there could be something from nothing. Uh, physicists have even called it the ultimate free lunch. You know, how can you get matter and energy and space and time from 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 zero, I, I I try and give a have a stab at explaining it in the book, but um, uh, yeah, one one of the ideas, for example, is that as you say, our universe isn't the only one. That there's other, there's a multiverse out there with, with all the ingredients, the energy needed to create our universe. And but might that, might think, that multiverse have life like this one does? Well, it could do. Uh, and of course, the uh, the uh, fundamental constants of physics may be very very different. So the other universes may be much more boring than ours as well. You know, some may you know gravity might be too strong, so they sort of burst into existence and disappear again in a big crunch. Or the the electric charge on the electrons in in in, in other universes is slightly too weak, so atoms never form. And if atoms never form, you can't get complexity. You can't get you you can't reach life unless you have structure something that can, you know, deal with information flow. So it may be our universe really is the lottery winner. You know, everything was just right, and here we are talking about it. Plenty of other universes, it wasn't right, and life, life never emerged. How do you think the Big Bang occurred? Well, there are, there are 
too. And maybe there was no Big Bang. Well, well, the Big Bang, the term Big Bang, I think, in a way, has confused us over the over the years because it isn't wasn't necessarily. It's certainly not an explosion as we would imagine. Right, that and, and that's somewhere. what it sounds like. Exactly, and I think it's the, it's the name that that really confuses. The, the current thinking is, and and this is an, an an area of physics which, in the book, I'm slightly critical of because there's some of these ideas of fundamental physics are almost metaphysics, they're almost philosophy, because we've got no way of testing them. And in science, you know, you, a theory has to be testable. You've got to do an experiment, make an observation, and say, yep, okay, the theory looks like it predicts this, and I've checked it out. Ideas like the Big Bang, not whether the Big Bang happened, we have lots of evidence for that, or, or the, the, the beginning of the, the, the matter and energy that we see around us now, you can wind the clock back. And, and we have three or four clincher pieces of evidence that tell us that definitely happened. But what caused it, whether there was something before it, those are questions that we're trying to answer, but we're guided simply by mathematics at the moment, and we have no way of testing whether they, these ideas are really true. You know, when the Bible talks about God always was, always will be, doesn't it kind of sound like the universe? That God himself could have been the universe? I think that that's, in many ways, yeah, in many ways, a lot of these ideas in physics, uh, the, you know, multiverse ideas, for example, you know, if our universe was, was uh, started from a big bang, but maybe there are other universes and the multiverse has existed forever. Yeah, I think a lot of the ideas in, in modern physics do sound theological in, in, in that sense. Uh, and the difference, I guess, is, you know, when a, a, a a person of faith says, you know, God created the ingredients for the way universities, God has always existed. For me as a physicist, that doesn't push the explanation. I'm always looking for answers. For me to say, well, God made it that way, or God has always existed, you know, it may or may not be true, but that's not part of science. Science isn't in the business of proving or disproving God. But for me, it just doesn't help me push my... It doesn't give you further. the answer you're looking for. No, all, all it seems to me is that, you know, you, if you say uh, the universe is so complex and beautiful, surely there must have been a, a higher power, a creator. And then just say, well, the higher power or creator must be even more complex and beautiful than us. And who created the creator? You know, it's one of those questions where you're not solving the problem. You're just saying, I'm putting a, putting a drawing a line here. Beyond this, I need not explore further. Why do the laws of physics uh, seem to be uniform throughout the universe? There's no anything that is different. It's all the same, isn't it? it? It looks that way. There's no reason for it to be like that, but it seems that however far out we, we look in, in, in what we can see, what we call the visible universe, to the very, sort of very edge, because the universe is expanding, there's a, a limit beyond which we're never going to see. Um, but in every direction we look, wherever we get light that carries with it the information about the nature of stars and galaxies, Everything seems the same. The light is traveling at the same speed. They're made of the same chemical elements, hydrogen, helium mostly. Yeah, there's no reason for, 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 for everything to, to be, the laws of physics to be the same, but that's what we've seen so far. Of course, beyond the limits of our universe, then you know, all bets are open because, of course, what can you, what can you say about what you can never observe or, or test? That's amazing. It is exciting, though, isn't it? I find it exciting, yes. I mean, I think, and that's why one of the reasons why I moved also into science communication. So, I mean, I spend half my time 
as an academic. I teach students. Uh, I, I have my, my grad students who do research. But the other half of my time, I, I, I like to write, do broadcasting, chat to you. <laughs> you know, it, I find, because I find it exciting and, and, and thrilling, I, I always say if I find out something new about how the world works, why would I want to not shout it? At the, from the rooftops, tell everyone else about it. You know, that I like to share that passion, not because I'm I'm a, a great guy and I want to you know get people interested in physics, but because it gives me pleasure to, to to explain to other people some of these ideas. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.